Holy interview, citizen. Hi, this is Burt Ward, Robin from the TV series, Batman. You're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Wowie zowie, citizens. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, <laughs> it's scary. What kind of a sick school is this? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a hole. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! Go to the coast, we get together, have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey! I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor, and this is the show in which we discuss pop culture of the past and help you, the listener, introduce younger folk to all the cool stuff they missed out on. Things of a paranormal and occult nature have been part of our pop culture for ages, so it's a treat for us to be able to cover the Salem Paracon, a paranormal and horror convention being held in Salem, Massachusetts on November 12th and 13th of this year, 2022. Now, we've got a bunch of guests lined up for you today, so let's get right to it. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. 
Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now. Okay, folks, joining me today is Charles Rosenay, and he's going to tell us all about the Salem Paracon in Salem, Mass. Glad you could be here, Charles. I am so glad to be here and so psyched for the weekend. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and you know, you were on our live streaming show, Fright Lounge, the other day, and we had some weird technical issues that occur that have never happened to me before. Uh, you know, my mouse on my tablet was just jumping around, opening up windows, like, for no reason. Well, you know what? You never know when the paranormal takes over. You never know why. And uh, we welcome it. It's all good, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you've officially paranormally activated the show. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which makes sense because this weekend in Salem at Salem State University uh, on the South Campus, we're going to be bringing uh, uh, what, we are, what we're considering the real first world-class uh, horror and paranormal convention with special guests, with guest speakers. Um, people are going to sign autographs and meet fans. Uh, and 50 of the greatest vendors on the East Coast with every imaginable horror, paranormal, UFO, Bigfoot, everything related is going to be there. Awesome. Awesome. Can you tell us about some of the guests? Yeah. So Hal Havens, who's um, one of these guys who's been on a ton of things through the years uh, that, you know, slight parts in old classic horror movies and grade Z horror movies. Um, but most recently uh, got some, you know, more uh, mainstream national attention. He was in Fear, uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, and he's going to be there, Hal Havens. Um, also, the um, Sean Austin. Uh, who's a paranormal demonologist type of guy, written some books, real great personality. But uh, on TV recently in a show called 28 Days Haunted, and it was Netflix in the Netflix top five for weeks. Uh, very exciting, very fun. Uh, great guy. He'll be talking about that show and all his other paranormal investigations. And uh, another really cool um, movie star who's going to be with us is Kristen DeBell, who was a... Uh, Oh, in a bunch of movies through the years, but uh, most most famously known, her face is from Meatballs with uh, Bill Murray. And then I Want to Hold Your Hand, the Beatles uh, film. But what does that have to do with horror? Nothing. But she was also in horror terror, the movie called Holy Terror. And she was also in Life Pod. So a lot of these people, you know, even though they've been in so many other roles uh they're beloved for their genre roles and you know when people come to the horror conventions or the paranormal conventions they've got their photos from those films along with everything else so people can get autographs and take pictures with them and they'll see them on stage and they're just one of a few if you're into the paranormal at all and you're part of you know this universe that really you know appreciates the people who know their stuff and have been doing investigations forever. Then the list of names is very very um, very well known to you. And just just now, uh, I think in between the time we spoke last and now, we added a guest. Um, and he's uh, and and what's interesting is. I wouldn't have known him from um, had I not realized and made the connection of his name, along with his appearances. 
Um, he's uh, been on television for his roles with um, his name is is LeBlanc, uh, and he's been uh, Expedition Bigfoot, and also um, Paranormal Paranormal Caught on Camera. Oh wow! And and those are two you know well known shows from the Travel Channel. Yeah, and uh, and from um, I want to say um, the History Channel. No, was it maybe nostalgia? I forgot which other channel, but his name is Ronnie LeBlanc, and uh, yeah, he's he's well known for those uh, uh, Discovery Discovery Channel. Oh, right. So from Discovery and Travel Channel on Expedition Bigfoot and Paranormal Quarter Camera, just added him in the past few hours to the show. So that's really that's exciting. Awesome, that is so yeah. cool. And will any of the guests be doing panels or anything? They will. So most of the ones, you know, who are the, the headliners, so to speak, will be either on stage telling, you know, about their investigations, doing a panel or being interviewed um, on Saturday. We have a separate interview with the, the horror guests. What we did is we just posted on our website. If you press schedule on www.salemparacon.org, it really gives you which guests are speaking at what times. So even before you go to the show, you want, you know, there's someone you specifically want to see, you know, they're already up there. And what we do is aside from the two, two of the headliners, everyone speaks on different days. So for the folks that are coming for two days, they're getting to see different events, different panels, different lecturers, different guest speakers each day. And we always do that, you know, intentionally because we want someone to come on Saturday, have a great time and say, oh, my gosh, I didn't see this guy on stage. So they come back the next day. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And you mentioned horror in with um, uh, the paranormal. And, you know, in your mind, how do horror fans and paranormal fans co uh, coincide? I think there's a symmetry. I don't think that there's so much coinciding you know when you think of paranormal if you're not familiar with the paranormal and you're not you know a, a religious person who understands the, all the different layers you think okay well there's ghosts ghosts are horror horror and paranormal make you know go together they don't really but there are so many paranormal conventions there's so many horror conventions we thought well let's combine my two you know loves and let's put out a convention where if someone's a horror fan, they're going to be exposed to paranormal. If they're a paranormal fan, they're going to be exposed to the horror. So both, you know, both elements are going to be there, but not at the exclusion of the other and not in any kind of insinuation that if you're into paranormal, oh, this is horror. Or if you're into horror, then paranormal falls into that. It's really how you perceive each. And if it's if it's the layman, you know, who someone just wants to spend $14.99 and have a great time, they're getting the best best of both worlds. Right, right. That's awesome. You know, and I have to say, as someone who's been at both paranormal conventions and horror conventions, that the fans of both are just among the nicest people that you'll ever meet. So I highly recommend that people go because everyone there is just pleasant and wants to be there. Right. Yeah, I I found that so to be the case. Also with my Beatles conventions and music events, people who go to conventions love the um you know the theme they're going for so they're with like-minded people and they're all cool you know i'm sure there's comic cons where people are you know pulling at each other to get to the front of a line or something i've never experienced that but you're right at horror conventions at paranormal conventions, it's like a club in many ways it's like a family yeah and people who go just have the greatest time yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I got to tell you, many years ago, I used to host horror movies on local cable access. And um, I went as my character, Uncle Death, to the 
horror hound convention in Indianapolis back in 2011. And there were so many horror hosts there. It was like a family reunion of most of us who had never met each other before, you know? That's awesome. I hope there's a picture somewhere of all the hosts together. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there is. We were all out smoking and (laughs) we got a picture of a bunch of us out there. So, Charles, uh, as we wrap up here, because we're going to lead into our guests, we're in fact, uh, as you mentioned, we're going to interview Christine DeBell. She's coming up and Hal Havens and Sean Austin um, on the show here. So uh, why don't you, before we give out the um, Salem Paracon website again, why don't you tell us um, real briefly your websites? You've got you've got Dracula Tours and you've got a couple of books. So why don't you give those out to the listeners as well? I appreciate that. So believe it or not, we do Dracula Tours to Transylvania every year where um, we do a one-week horror vacation, which isn't horror. It's it's really special. We combine the elements of the myth and the legend and the fiction of Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, together with the actual history and reality of Vlad Tepish, Vlad the Impaler. And for one week, we follow in Jonathan Harker's footsteps of the Borgo Path and into the Carpathian Mountains. And we really follow the footsteps of Dracula on a tour that takes place every year, www.dractours, D-R-A-C-T-O-U-R-S.com. That's uh, gonna be our 25th year of doing that. Also this coming summer, we're gonna have a ghost tour, uh, tour of terror to England, where it's gonna be kind of like Dracula tour part two, because we do a lot of the Bram Stoker sites, but also the most haunted places in Britain, uh, including the tower and including uh, Jack the Ripper tour and all that great stuff. If you've never been to England, uh, this is a great time to come because we'll also take you to the regular sites. If you've been there, well, now you can get to see the dark side of London and the surrounding <laughs> towns. Um, and the website for that is www.toursofterror.com. For my books, <laughs> there's too many going <laughs> here. Uh, the fun one is the first one. It's where 100 celebrities gave me their top 10 favorite horror lists, horror themes. Um, it's the book of top 10 horror lists on sale at Amazon. If people would like a signed copy, there's a website and it's www.bookoftop10. It's the number 10, Book of Top 10 Horror Lists. And with all these, if you know, if people can't remember the uh, the websites, they can always go to Facebook and put in the titles because there's a, a, a Facebook page for all these events. And the most recent book, which I'll, I'll be selling this weekend and signing copies, is True Ghost Stories of Connecticut, firsthand paranormal accounts by individuals who experienced the occurrences. Yeah, it's a title with Connecticut in it, but if you love ghost stories, if you want to read true paranormal events, it's a great book. It's evergreen. It'll fit anyone who loves these stories. And the website for that is a little different. It's www.paranormalconnecticut.com. But our raison d'etre, our biggest reason for all this is this weekend, (laughs) we're so excited about Salem Paracon, a weekend of horror, of paranormal, of special guests, of just a fun time. And you get to see me as part of... um, my, my paranormal team, which is the shaman and the showman. My partner is the shaman. He's the real deal, a clairvoyant. We, we talk on stage both days. We talk about our books. We talk about our investigations, all the places we've seen, all the most amazing things we've done. And uh, that's at salemparacon.org, S-A-L-E-M-P-A-R-A. 
con.org at Salem State University's South Campus. We say that is really important. We add South Campus because if you Google uh, Salem State University, it'll take you to Lafayette Street and that's Central Campus and they ain't where we are. We're at South Campus on Harrison Road. And uh, just looking forward to seeing people uh, this weekend. Tickets are only $14.99. How can you go wrong for a whole day of activities from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m.? If, if you're so inclined and you want a VIP ticket, you can uh, spend the extra 5 bucks. $19.99 gets you in first, gets you in an hour early. So you can have first crack at all the vendors, get the merch that you know is limited, and you want to get the first of everything you're there. And you can get front row seats for all the, uh, the, the talks and the speeches and the lectures and the guests. Did I cover it all? I think you did. <laughs> it's it's awesome that you mentioned that it was on South Campus. You know, I went to Salem State way back in the dinosaur days. And, yeah. and um, I never actually went to South Campus because that's where all the business students went. And I was an English major, so I had no need to go down there. So it'll be fun to check it out. I've never actually been to that uh, oh, part awesome. of, the, of, the of the school. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm going to obviously going to be at the Salem Paracast. We'll be doing some live videos and uh, getting some more interviews and stuff to do a follow up show. And uh, I'm so looking forward to meeting you, Charles. So am I. I'm looking forward to meeting you, all your listeners and uh, everyone who's going to be coming to Salem Paracon. Uh, you're in for a great time. And I'm really looking forward to meeting a lot of new friends. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to seeing you and looking forward to having you on the show again sometime. Sounds great. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Okay, next up is special guest, actress Christine DeBell, who's going to be at Salem Paracon, and we had a fun conversation. So enjoy. Okay, folks, joining me today is an actress who's been on such classic TV shows as Policewoman, BJ and the Bear, Eight is Enough, 
Barnaby Jones, and Chips, among many others. She's also been in such films as Life Pod, Tag the Assassination Game, and the classic comedy Meatballs with Bill Murray, um, also among many others. She's worked with such actors as Richard Gere, Jackie Chan, Robert Carradine, Linda Hamilton, and David Cassidy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Christine DeBell. Hi, thank you for having me on. Awesome, awesome. Glad you could be here. Um, I've got a lot of questions, so um, we sort of have a a bit of a limited amount of time here, so I'm going to try and see how many we can squeeze in today. Okay. Now, I'm going to get this one out of the way because I'm sure it's the one you're asked the most about, Um, and that, of course, is the movie Meatballs. Uh, what can you tell us ab- about that movie that maybe you haven't told in an interview? <laughs> yeah, it may be hard to um, find something I haven't um, told. Uh, but anyway, it um, it was an amazing experience working with Bill Murray. And what's interesting about that is we didn't know we were working with Bill Murray. I mean, you know, we just, I just auditioned and they said, Oh, you got the part. You're going to Canada. Okay, great. You're going to be at a camp. Okay, cool. And I guess Ivan had was a new bill from second city and was like, Bill, you know, come on, I want you to do this movie. I want you to do this movie. You got it. You know, and uh, I guess I'd become friends or something. And uh, yeah, he didn't know. I mean, Bill showed up late, like <laughs> day three and Ivan had no idea if he would show up at all. So that's pretty cool. And I think that that's kind of how Bill is, even to this third. <laughs> that's awesome. Isn't that funny? And how how was he as an actor, like, to, to work with? Oh, he was terrific. I mean, obviously, it was a comedy, which is his forte. And uh, my, one of my favorite stories to tell is, you remember in the opening scene where we're, we're sitting around and he says, you know, come on, guys, and he walks over to the trash can and rips up the rules? Yeah. Um, I, that was the script. Because there was a bit of a script, but, you know, he was into improvisation. So every scene became that. I mean, it was improv, which I love. It, the whole scene in the girl's cabin where I'm crawling around on the floor. I'm like, Ivan, can we, how about this? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's great. Whatever, you, you know, yeah. The popping out of the tree like a, like a Laurel and Hardy. That was me. Kind of a scene. <laughs> It was like, girl, you know, let's try this. It was so fun. It was just, it was really an amazing experience. That's for, awesome. Yeah. So Ivan Reitman obviously gave you a lot of freedom there with the improv and everything. So, how, how, you know, it was. would you consider him an actor's director? I think so, yeah. I, I absolutely would. It's not that I've, and I obviously I haven't worked with him since, but I would say absolutely. You know, he trusts his actors. You're there for a reason. And he, you know, he would say, you know, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, uh, I'd like to do, I'd like this to happen. And yeah, go for it. That's great. That's great. Now, I know some um, some directors have done things like, like for example, James Woods. Um, I'm sorry, for example, John Carpenter on the set of uh, Vampires with James Woods. He, James Woods would want to do all different things. And he'd say, okay, first do what's in the script. And then you can go at it and we'll pick whichever one is, you know, comes out the best. Is Did Ivan Reitman do anything like that? Or was he pretty much just do what you want nope. to do and let's go for it? Nope. And, I, and I'm trying to remember if it was his directorial debut. I'm, honestly, I don't know. But I, he, no, I just think that he trusted his actors. That He did not. He didn't say do what was in the script. We just, he said, this is what's happening in this scene. And let, let's see what happens. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I think he had done a, a one or two. I know he did his directorial debut was Cannibal Girls in a uh, Canadian film that he did. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. 
So, so moving right along here, I got to ask you, I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't, you've got to tell us about the show, David Cassidy, Man Undercover. How did that come about? Well, I, I mean, it came about as most of the roles that I played came about. I auditioned and they, um, and I got the part, right? Nice. So, um, and honestly, it, I mean, it, it didn't, doesn't stick out in my mind. I mean, he, he was uh, terrific to work with. It was fun. It was, um, it was a fun role. But what's really more fun for me is that I ended up be meeting him again years later because friends of mine are, you know, I'm into thoroughbred racing. They're into thoroughbred racing. They have a big farm and he was also, he owned horses. So I met him, you know, these past 10 years or so many times uh, because of the race, because of race horses, race horses. Wow. And were you a little yeah. starstruck when you first met him? Um, it's funny because I was not, my girlfriend is, um, um, what was he? Um, yeah, he, obviously I remember him, but I was not a big fan. It wasn't like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, um, you know, I'm with, I'm making, a sh uh, doing a show with David Cassidy. It was just, yeah, I don't know why, hmm. <laughs> but I was not starstruck No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, and when you were shooting that, were there moments where, Maybe if you were in public, um, you know, fans would be lobbying to get to him. Hmm. I'm thinking, you know, I don't remember. It's not funny. I don't I, I, I can't speak to that. It's it's so, you know, you know how memory is. With yeah. You oh, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Hmm. I can't remember. I, I don't think so. I mean, it's just like and I don't think they would have let that happen knowing you know where he'd come from the show that the shows that he'd done and so they probably had people around to keep that under wraps right right yeah that makes sense some kind of security yeah <clears throat> so now i have to ask you you worked with the great madeline khan on a couple episodes of her show oh madeline was she in was she as wacky in real life as she was on screen yeah she was awesome yeah she was she was funny uh witty fabulous sweet i mean i i could go on yeah no that was a, a very very fun fun experience and you know and she liked me so much she wanted me to come back so that was like as an actor it's like woohoo madeline Kahn <laughs> hunts me yeah, yeah that's awesome that's awesome mm -hmm. do you have any funny memories from that um nope, <laughs> nope. i'm thinking no mm -mm, not really Interesting, interesting. I have a great memory from um, the movie I did with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Okay, go ahead. I mean, it was a, it was, a, I was just a short scene in the beginning, but it was like I um, grew up doing theater, theater in the round. You know, I was a singer. I did musical theater, and meeting her, she brought me into her trailer, and it was, uh, you know, and I was trying to. It was like, oh my god there's Barbara Streisand and I'm standing, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was kind of like with, uh, yeah, anyway, so, and yeah, we talked about theater and she'd done up theater in upstate New York as I had, although not the same theater, obviously. But um, yeah, that was so amazing. She was pretty cool. And that that was the main event, right? Yep. 
which was yeah. that was directed by um uh let's see if I can remember Howard Z- Zeef. Yep, Howard Zeef. Yeah. yeah. Cuz he did Private Benjamin and uh a bunch of movies like I think it was I think he did Dream Team, didn't he with Michael Keaton? Yep. Mhm. And what was he like as a director? Mm, you know what it is? I think sometimes when I'm on set, I'm so focused on what I need to do and what I need to be and who I am at that moment that I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, and and I also think I didn't have a huge part, right? Yeah. yeah. So I don't really remember. It was like you know, I just did what he said. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Walk here, move there, say this. Okay, gotcha. Right, right, right. And you know Ryan O'Neill, of course, he he had a powerhouse seventies there. He had you know, of course, Love Story. I think was probably the big hit for him, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yep, I would agree. Yes. And then he did he did quite a few others. Like, and it, what was he like to work with? As a you said, you were just in the opening sequence, correct? Yes, right, exactly. I was taking a driving lesson from him. Yeah, he was he was awesome. He was funny, sweet. Yeah, he was amazing. That's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And it was, and it was, it was a thrill meeting him as well, but not quite as much of a thrill as meeting Barbara Streisand. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And and so, in terms of working, did you did you actually work with her, or did you just meet her? Well, they no no no. I well, she hired me because she she was in charge, and she so she hired me from her trailer. But then, yeah, she was in the scene as well. I mean, they were she came up and they were kind of arguing. With me. Oh, okay. And, and and so how was she to work with? Yeah, no, she was, I mean, she was very, um, you know, what's the word? Professional. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could kind of see that, yeah. And, um, you know, the, there was another one that I wanted to ask you about. You were in Tag the Assassination Game with uh, Robert Carradine and Linda Hamilton. Uh, what can you tell us about that? I mean, I re- it was... <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I mean, it was fun. It was, you know, I, it, I think it was sort of, was it not like the first kind of scary movie? I mean, I was killed. That was pretty cool. I mean, the, oh, that's not true. I was actually killed on the soap opera, The Young and the Restless. I mean, I was in the morgue and pulled out at a table. That was pretty cool, too. <laughs> yeah. No, it was fun. I mean, I, you know, Linda was great. Bobby. Um, yeah. That's it awesome. Was and that it was, was your fun. Good, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I just said it was a fun set. Oh, nice, nice. And that was directed by Nick Castle, who played um, Michael Myers in the original Halloween. And I think he, I think he came back for the two recent movies, or two of the three recent movies, um, to play the character again. But he did a lot of directing too, like he did the Last Starfighter. Um, you know, what what was he like to work with as a director? Do you remember? Not really. I, I mean, I guess it, it's sometimes like looking back in retrospect. I mean, I just, you know, when you're, I was a kid, right? So it's like, I didn't think, oh, you know, besides meeting Barbara Streisand, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know, the director's there and then you don't realize till later, oh, well, that person, you know, had done this, this and this, or, you know, I, um, I don't, I can't say that I remember too much about him as a director. Okay. And um, as our listeners probably know, I uh, I write soap opera news for a living. And you mentioned Young and the Restless, of course. And you were also uh, on Days of Our Lives. You played Kathy O'Connell. And, you know, I, I know full well that uh, acting in daytime is a lot different than uh, doing like a, a movie or a TV show, or, you know, regular TV show. Can you tell us a little bit about, how, you know, how that was for you? 
Yeah, that it's it's like a nine to five job. You know, it's not it's not really. I mean, obviously, you're still acting, but acting can be. You know, you got day shoots, night shoots. You know, it. But this is very. It's you know, filmed with a three camera, four camera shot, and um, and it goes pretty quickly. But it was pretty cool. It was really cool doing the Young the Restless because I lived a few blocks away and I had just made the big brawl, so I'd learned how to roller skate and I was could jump over barrels by the end of the film. And so I roller skated to work at CBS every day. Wow. Yeah. And and recently I went to see, um, who? what's the nighttime show that shoots there? Uh, well, I'll think of it later. Um, but I, you know, just I'm walking through the halls to go to his show. And, um, and I'm thinking, wow, I used to roller skate through these halls. That's crazy. <laughs> And I, I know nowadays when they, on soaps, they're doing like anywhere from 40 to 140 pages a day, and they pretty much have yeah. one, maybe two takes. Was it like that back then as well? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had to memorize 17, 18, 20 pages a night. Yeah. It was crazy. Wow. And did you, you, you never went back to soap operas. Did you find, kind of find that that was sort of a good, um, I don't know, because you, you'd been acting for a while, so it's not really a practice ground, but did you find it was a, a good experience to inform your, your later acting? Well, I, I think that, you know, having to memorize all that, I mean, obviously I, I thought I was pretty good at it, but you get really good at it. But as far as, you know, being on the soap, I really enjoyed it. I mean, had they, I was in like a summer supplement, so I was on for three or four months, I think. But, you know, had they asked me back, I mean, I would have loved that. It's I, I enjoyed it very much. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know a lot of those actors, they, it's it's their job for life. You know they're on this, these shows for forty, fifty years. Yeah, right. Exactly. Why? Well, yeah, I don't know if I'd want that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, right. Exactly. Nikki, did she just? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you become this person, and you're that person for a very long time. Right. Yeah, you know, mine was fun. It was with Rose, and I was a, a hooker. It was like. I did get cast a lot as hookers. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I was, like, was like, seriously? Not that I knew what a hooker looked like, but... <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Do, do you find, as an actor, do you that you... Um, let's say you have a, a pretty difficult... Not difficult, but, I mean, you've got a pretty emotional uh, character scene that you've got to do. Do you find that you you end up accidentally taking that home with you, or are you able to sort of separate yourself once you're done with the shoot for the day no yeah i don't have any problems and people would say to me i would be on set and they'd say okay you have to cry in this scene and i would just start to well up and there people are like other actors were like how do you do that (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know it's like i seriously don't it's just like i can cry at you and I don't know why. And they, they love that on the soap. It was like, oh, my gosh. It was like, I felt like that's all I did. But that, you know, they, it's like, oh, can you burst into tears here? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have just, to have anyone cutting you, onions can, near you. <laughs> yeah, right. Nope, they were not doing that. Can you just let one teardrop fall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. I don't know why. Honestly, I don't. It's crazy. That's incredible. Because I've heard of actors who have to like, they have to find a really sad memory in order yep. to, to get that kind of emotion. <laughs> well, and I think I do have those sad memories somewhere and I just know how to tap into them. But it's not like, it's just so, uh, it, I don't know, it's just not hard. 
but I absolutely understand what you're saying because I do know actors that you know they have to sit alone. They've got to you know take their time. It takes them a while to get to that that place. Um, yeah, I live in that place every day. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now you mentioned, of course, the big brawl, which is also known as Battle Creek Brawl, uh, with Jackie Chan, which that was a, a sort of a, um, a Warner Brothers. Uh, collaboration with the Chinese company Golden Harvest. Um, yep. So was that was specifically made for American audiences? Yes, I believe so. I mean, I I, I don't know. I mean, they may have absolutely um, dubbed it and played it there as well. But uh, it was, as far as I know, it was, I mean, it was definitely made for, and I spent it, yeah, Raymond Chow, right? And uh, Yes. Yeah, it was it was really Jackie was great. I mean, he was just something else. But I, I joke because my role, besides memorizing my lines, was helping Jackie with his diction a lot. You know, it's oh, like, wow. yeah, every night we'd be rehearsing and you know doing the lines, and I'm like, no, it sounds like this. We'll you know try you know trying to help him. We had a lot of fun. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's so and so athletic i mean it was like in that scene i'm sitting in that car on the bridge in the opening scene and he's you know doing that stuff and it was like i was like holy crap <laughs> yeah that, that's the thing you know some people like jackie chan generally don't need stunt doubles no no mm -mm. and he had all of his own guys i mean all those guys that were there as well we went out to dinner one night all of us and they dared me to eat a hot pepper oh, and i eat it my mouth is on fire for a week. I do not like hot things. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, every it's like I even, I raise children and they love things so hot that their mouth is burning. I'm like, I don't get it. How did I raise you? I, I my my thing is I don't like to associate pain with my eating experience. So no, or yeah, having your mouth on fire is not fun. <laughs> when I first started going out with my wife, she was a little disappointed. She's like, oh, we're never going to eat Mexican food again? I'm like, you can eat it, just not with me. <laughs> well, it's like, well, not only that, it's it's so funny. It's like, you know, I love Indian food. I love exotic food, you know, all kinds of uh, food. And um, it's always like, um, I'd like it mild, right? Can you, I eat, I make it at home now because I can make it mild, but... It's like sometimes their version of mild. It's like we just went out to an indie restaurant recently, and it's one of our favorite things. My son and I, and it's like um, one of my many sons. And I'm <laughs> like, I said to her, I said, I I really like it as mild as you can, and it was a little spicy, but it wasn't too bad. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just funny. I just um, I like if if someone were to open up a a jar of salsa across the table from me, my eyes would start watering. Okay, you're worse than I am. <laughs> I buy two salsas. I buy me mild salsa and then hot salsa for everybody else. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, now, you were also in the movie Club Life with Michael Parks. And for some reason, I don't know what's going on in my world, but his name has come up quite a bit lately. Um, do you remember what it was like working with him? No. I, it's like Club Life. It's like, what was that story about? Who? Tell me about that actor. I don't remember. When When did I make that movie? Because I've seen it, and, and I'm like, Club Life. Is that the one that, that um, Tony Curtis? Not Tony Curtis. Who am I thinking of? Who is in Club Life? Um, I think. Let's see here. I don't, I don't remember. Is it 80? My head. 
I usually have to try to have my little IMDb page when I do these inter interviews right here, so I'm like I can look it up. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was in '86. Uh, <laughs> it had Tom Tom Parzikian and Michael Parks. Wow. And let's see who else was in it. Jamie Barnett. Oh yeah, Tony Curtis was in it. Yeah. Jeez, I didn't yep. even realize that. Yeah, and I because I recently found a photograph of me sitting next to him. Oh, yeah, wow. I think my friends, you know who was in it was my friend Sal Landy, who became when my acting teacher after you know years later. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, and Dee Wallace was in it too. We had her in the show, oh. like I mentioned. Yep, yep, and I remember, but it's just I, isn't it weird? Hmm. But, but so you I don't even know. remember meeting Tony Curtis? Nope. Oh wow, that's interesting. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, well, you know, it's, so, your brain's got to keep the important things, the things that are really important to you, you know? Well, it's also somewhere in there. I, you know, I mean, this is personal. It's not. But I got sober, right, in 81. So there's an area. Of, it's like sometimes it's like, you know, oh, yeah. I used to joke. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I don't remember that. I was probably drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's but hilarious. I guess it's really not funny. But, yeah. <laughs> So was some of these um, 70s and 80s shows that you did, like 8 is Enough and Chips, what, what kind of memories do you have from some of those shows? Anything, anything fun you can share with us? Mm, I'm thinking. Well, Chips, I didn't really get to work with them that much, except maybe when, because I was like the bad guy. I was the mall. Is that, what do you call them? Oh, yeah. Bad guy's girlfriend. And in... Uh, Eight is enough. I remember that was a very cute show. They were very sweet on that show. You know, I mean, it had that feeling anyway. It was all real warm and woolly right. and yeah. And yeah, you know, I just, uh, yeah. You had like, you know, Dick Van Patten and Willie Ames and all those, those people. Yep. That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to ask you too about, uh, do you want to talk about some of your horror work? Like you did Holy Terror and Trophy Heads and a few others? Yeah, that, um, how did that start? I met the, um, the, yeah, I had a meeting. He wanted to hire me. Yeah. No, yeah, those were wicked fun. I mean, you know, I didn't, had never really gotten to do horror before. So it was really, really fun. Nice. Trophy. Yeah, that was small. And, um, Dave Dakota also is the one who really brought me back. When I first went back to work, as I'd taken time off, I moved back east to take care of my... I wanted to raise my kids in the country where I was raised on a farm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when I went back, it this is a funny story. You could submit yourself. You didn't need an agent. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is so cool. So I sub submitted myself for a part, and I get a, an instant reply and he says, are you available? And I said, yes, I'm available to read. Absolutely. And he goes, read? I know who you are. <laughs> will you make the film? And I said, yes, of course I will. And that was Dave Dakota. And we made a bunch of talking animal movies. It was so cute. That's so fun. Yeah, because he did, um, uh, what was it? Yeah. Uh, the I talking a, cat. That's I, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Easter Bunny Puppy, which became the Halloween. I don't know. I yeah. I finally said to him, I said, "Let's do one about a talking woodchuck." <laughs> <laughs> That's and awesome. In that, and in that time, I met Hatanaka. Right? He was the director of uh, 
during that time and he wanted to meet with me. I, I, I'm not sure, I can't remember exactly, but I remember how he knew I was back or how he knew of me, but he um, contacted me and or my agent and we had a meeting. And then we made a couple of films together too. Yeah, you did Samurai Cop 2? Yep. I had a pretty small role in that one. The other, the one that I did with him that was really was, uh, it was a, I was a chief of police. What was that one? Um, I forgot my head. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but there was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's just a, such an amazing career that you've had so far. Um, so do you, um, you know, as we wrap things up here, um, you know, there's a lot more that I could ask you about. Um, so maybe we'll have you back <laughs> again for a longer time. You're so funny. You're like, oh, I, can't, I never want to interview again. She can't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me what it was like. Uh, mm, yeah. I, you know what it is, too, is I think that I'm also a person that, like, when I'm in a scary situation, I kind of go to my happy place. So it's like if I was nervous on set, you know, sometimes, like, I remember when I was shooting um, I Want to Hold Your Hand and Spielberg's there and, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah. That's like, funny. So, I, actually, I, I did remember something I wanted to ask you is, you know, how is acting, or I'm sorry, not acting, but how has auditioning changed for you because of the pandemic? Are you doing everything remotely, and, and or are you able to go back in person these days? Um, I'm actually, I never, just before, just as the pandemic was happening was when I decided to sort of stop. I'm now, um, I am not working right now. I, I've decided to, I, I can't say retire. My son's a writer and he's writing a script. And of course I'm going to play a part. And if someone called me and said, oh my gosh, I've got this amazing role, but eh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just I'm enjoying my life right now. And it's, I'm not acting. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, um, so I was going to ask you, cause your IMDB has one that's upcoming called Merrily. Is that the film? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. It said upcoming. I shot that years ago. And I think it's because he's still, he, it's like a little vignette thing. I thought it was actually done because uh, how did I meet him? Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I'm thinking. But anyway, yeah. So he would, I think I met him through friends. And so we, he was just, you know, I shot a few times little vignettes here or there. And I think he was putting together something. And I guess from, IMDb has decided that he's still putting it together. But I think it's pretty funny because it was, you know, maybe five years ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah it's, according to IMDb, it says it's filming, but you know how IMDb is. It's well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's like uh, they have stuff in my. It's like that. Something I did this, and I'm like, yeah, no, mm -mm, no, I didn't do that. Right. Like, I mean, send them. Nope, that's not me. Could you remove that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, they don't really care. They could, they just put whatever they want on there, you know? Oh, yeah. I've had so many people on the show saying the same thing. They're like, you know, I, I don't know why they said I was in that. I was never in that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should just shush and say, oh, yeah, I was in that. It was great. I really remember what happened because we've been in my line. But, yeah, no, it's so fun, that film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Christine, it's been awesome having you on the show. It's been such a pleasure. Um, is there um, a place where the listeners can find you online? Do you have sort of a social media presence? 
Yeah, and we have to t- talk about where I'm going to be on oh. next. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, Let's talk about that first, and then I will give you sure. my. So, I'm going to be at the Salem Paracon on the twelfth, hanging out with witches. So you know, come out and see me. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so my. Um, yeah, it's Christine DeBell. It, I'm on Facebook, or I have a Facebook fan page. Um, I have a twi- I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, and they all are at Christine DeBell. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for taking your time to join me today. No, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. Awesome. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Next up, we have another Salem Paracon guest, demonologist and paranormal investigator, Sean Austin. Okay, folks, our guest is a demonologist, paranormal investigator, psychic medium, author, and singer-songwriter. He's written and produced several documentaries, including Devil Down South, Letchworth, Yorktown, and Amityville, The Resurgence, and TV shows like The Devil in Bel-Air and The Demon Files, many of which have been on Discovery+, Plus, The Travel Channel, and Scare Network TV. He's written several books on the paranormal, including The Echo's Revenge series, Shadow Chaser, and Shadow Chaser, The In-Between. He's currently the team leader and lead investigator on one of the teams featured on the new Netflix series, 28 Days Haunted. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Sean Austin. How are we doing? Good, good. Glad you could be here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool. We've got a ton to talk about, so uh, we've only got about a half an hour here, so I'll squeeze in as much as we can. So let's just sort of start at the beginning. What led you onto the path that you're on now? You you started investigating before you developed your psychic abilities, correct? Yes, I believe my beginning in the paranormal actually triggered my abilities that were probably dormant within me the whole time, in which I do believe all of us do have psychic abilities. Um, but there was something naturally within me uh, that was... Uh, it came to the forefront as soon as I started engaging the spirit world um, and starting to investigate. Um, you know, it was by mistake while in the process of trying to prove to a, a skeptic friend that ghosts are real. I ended up having, you know, a little girl spirit follow me home and got my defining first uh, EVP of a distant body voice of a little child. And uh, that was the defining experience that kind of drew me in, pulled me in. And uh, that's where history made for me and my calling and, uh, getting involved in this stuff and learning and reading books, you know, like the Warren's books and, and Ralph Sarchi's book, who would later be my mentor in demonology. And I never thought I'd be publishing books and uh, being a part of anything that would be, um, you know, on TV and stuff like that. I was just going out for the experience. But with all the experiences and knowledge that I was attaining, uh, I realized that I wanted to do good with it. Um, it's not just about, you know, it's, it is a thrill to be able to do this stuff but you know there are real stakes at hand and 
you know, it's a gift to be able to have these experiences. It's a gift with the spiritual awakening that I had in that process. And that was part of the characteristics to my calling of uh, being myself uh, involved with demonology and also wanting to help people and also earthbound spirits that may be trapped or lost um, in the earthbound plane still. Excellent, excellent. And that actually leads me to a question I had. I was going to ask you later on, but I'm going to ask it now. So, for example, we have a friend that's, that's a psychic, and we were just actually at the uh, Powerfest in Maine, and uh, she gave my wife a reading. And several times now, not even just that one time, she's been able to detect that uh, a loved one of my wife's who passed away is nearby and is watching out for her and stuff like that. And it, it got me thinking, and I had the question... So uh, if someone passes away and their spirit transfers to the other side, um, how are they coming back? Are they, are they a ghost? Because it, we're not having you know, any kind of ghostly experiences or anything. Is the person trapped? It's, it's not a residual haunting of any stretch. Um, how does that work if someone has passed on, yet they're still present in their loved one's lives? Well, I believe the characteristics to the uh, activity within that spirit would be different um, between the two uh, when it comes to being an earthbound, what we know as a ghost who is, you know, activated somehow where we're interacting in strange manners and so, uh, another soul that's been transitioned into the light and they communicate a little bit on a different uh, manner. Um, you know, strange coincidences or, you know, a song coming on the radio or I mean, my dad passed away a little over a year ago. It was a year this past October. And uh, I, I'm truly amazed how many times I've seen my father and experienced my father and, and even coming through on some of the investigations. And right before I pray for his spirit, uh, I'm truly humbled by that. And I guess that's, you know, a little bit of a learning experience as well for me, because I really didn't know, you know, if there are rules that are applied to souls that have transitioned into heaven that the way that they can communicate but you know obviously when it comes to ghosts there's there's an emotional energy that that comes behind that uh there's there's a desperation um for a voice uh to connect with somebody to be acknowledged uh to feel like they're human once again because that's one of the main factors why there are ghosts because they haven't let go of being a human being they feel like they're a human as a core but we're really a spiritual being and energy which never dies it only transitions into another form and i think that's where a lot of the consciousness of these what we know as ghosts get lost within the physical plane when it comes to a ghost or a soul that's transitioning kind of watching over us right right so would you liken it i mean you know you talked about the it being sort of an energy transference would you liken it to something like quantum entanglement where they can both be in heaven and watching over their loved ones at the same time well i don't think there's limitations to what you know spiritual beings can do we can only speculate what they're capable of doing uh you know after a lot of my experiences i do believe that there are rules that god has come up with um for even the dark evil spirits but also some of the souls they can interact with us and kind of like this game of you know me having abilities of being sensitive and i'm sure that you know this resonates with a lot of people who are truly sensitive it, it's kind of like a game of spiritual charades they can give you symbols and hints and, and, you know, if you if you're aware, these things will pop up even in your daily life. You know, you know I know a lot of people see, you know, numbers like 1111 and 222 yep. or or just little messages that come to them. There's little what we know as synchronicities. I call them like spiritual billboards, because as soon as you're open up to them, it's kind of like they're all there waiting for you to kind of, you know, piece the puzzle pieces together 
to the point where it starts to make sense. There, you know, there's there's some sort of energy from the universe that's trying to guide you to accomplish the mission that you are supposed to and capable of doing as a soul, ultimately. Right, right. Yeah, we absolutely see triple digits everywhere. My wife in particular sees four 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 all the time. Um uh-huh. so, so I want to ask you about the Demon Files. And is that um that's a show, and is that where you met Ralph Sarchi? Well, I was doing cases be- before the Demon Files came out. Um, I was actually doing a podcast myself. I had hosted my own podcast um, with somebody, and then I did it myself. But I lo- I'd seeked out Ralph because I'd never heard of him before, and I knew that there was a movie coming out based on his cases. And I was really fascinated by it, and I obviously read his book. And you know, I invited him to come on a podcast, and he ended up calling me, and we were on a phone for a couple of hours getting into a really spiritual, deep conversation. Um, and then from there, he asked me if I wanted to come out on some cases with him. And obviously at the time, I mean, I, I still was like learning and, and that's what was so good about even having a podcast for me, because I really enjoyed bringing these people that had these, had these, uh, astounding, profound paranormal experiences and stories that I could kind of pick their brain. And, you know, in the broad spectrum, we can all learn something from each other synergistically for the greater good. And, um, you know, and push for the paranormal and innovate it as well. And that's what I was doing. I was absorbing everything, reading books, and, you know, bringing guests on. And, and Ralph was one of those. And that kind of ended up, you know, leaning towards even more of, of the demonology and then that calling and, you know, um, dealing with the dark spirits. And he, even my even my my book, Shadow Chaser and Shadow Chaser, the in between the two books I published, uh, uh, you know, the reason why I call it Shadow Chaser is because a good friend of mine uh, showed my picture to a psychic she trusts. And asked her what is her psychic impressions on on me just looking at my picture without knowing me and she said that he he's a shadow chaser and she said what do you mean uh she said um he's meant to take shadows and send them back to where they belong and and obviously that resonates and (laughs) has resonated with my calling and involvement in this and that's why i did call my my book that's because a random psychic called me that that's awesome that's awesome and um yeah you mentioned the movie that um ralph sarchi's uh, exploits exploits were um, turned into, and that was that. That was the two thousand and six one with Eric Bana, correct? It was two thousand and fourteen or fifteen around that time when the Deliverance from Evil came out. Oh, okay, okay, I have it wrong. Yeah, so that, I, I definitely um, recommend people check that out as well, just to sort of get some background on on the world that you're traveling in. Um, and obviously, you know, you mentioned Ed and Lorraine Warren. Obviously, they've had a um, uh, significant influence on you. When did you first discover them? Um, well, I, you know, when I was a kid, um, I watched a lot of those shows like unsolved mysteries and sightings in the nineties. I was just a, a really small kid, like, you know, in my early teens or something like that. Um, so, you know, I knew of them, you know, from watching a bunch of those documentaries, I, I really watched a lot of documentaries as a kid. I was a horror movie buff as a child, um, but when I actually got involved with the paranormal and actually having an experience and how like amazing it was to discover that there really is something to it and not just watching all these documentaries like a haunting and all those other shows I was just mentioning, it's just like, it just, you know, it pulled me in. And the first book I ever read was the demonologist by Ed and Lorraine Warren. It was very easy to read. It's very informative. And it, and it was really, um, uh, you know, it really helped me formulate. It was on that path of like hearing about these extreme cases they went on and, you know, what the demonic do and, and how spirits and human spirits, it was just, it was just really just molding me along that path. And then I just read more books, including Ralph's book and, 
um, other people's books. I, you know, it, it just it helped me um, along the way, big time. Um, but you know, I, I knew I've known about the Warrens before that. Um, but uh, yeah, they were pioneers of the paranormal, and uh, I was just appreciative. I mean, because Ralph actually worked with Ed and Lorraine Warren in the beginning, and um, oh, wow. he worked with Malky, Malky Martin, and uh, Bishop McKenna were probably the most respected exorcists of our time who also worked with the Warrens as well. Like I was just so appreciative and humbled to be around people who were around those times when, you know, there weren't really TV shows about, you know, people investigating ghosts, you know, people were out there just for the research and really want to help people. And of course, everyone likes getting on TV. And, you know, for me, it was kind of just, you know, natural opportunities that came my way. I never thought of it that would end up turning into something like that. Um, But, you know, this is my passion. And, you know, when you when you get on that stage, you know, just like me being a singer, um, you know, it, it gives you the opportunity to reach more people. And, and that's the good part of, you know, doing these documentaries or writing these books, because even if you're helping one person or, or thousands of people, you're still making a difference with the way that you approach the paranormal. And that's something that I've always tried to convey, um, you know, as I've, I've developed my abilities and, and, you know, digging deeper into who I am as a paranormal investigator and the demonology aspect nice nice yeah i mean i remember as a kid back in the 70s my grandmother used to get the uh, national Enquirer, and i would read about ed and lorraine warren back then and i was always fascinated by them um uh, how uh, how have they influenced your investigative methods well i mean you know there was some of that stuff that the warrens did with the way that uh you know ralph even taught me you know um I'm able to perform an exorcism ritual on a house when there's a demonic infestation that's genuine. Um, you know, obviously I would just do a blessing on a home if there was a human spirits, but you know, just that really uh, profound faith, you know, my faith is really strong um, when it comes to how I approach everything. I've witnessed evil spirits reacting to things of religious significance uh, right in front of me. This is why I hold true to my faith every single day and probably <laughs> Wow, I've survived <laughs> mentally and, and physically through this process because I've, you know, I feel like I've seen the worst of the worst with the things that have come at me. Um, but of course, I mean, the way that they approach with their strong faith um, and 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 just voicing that, you know, that reality of, of good versus evil and, and God and the angels and the demons. I mean, you know, I've seen it up front and close and personal, just like, you know, a lot of the things that they have. So um, you know, that resonated with me when I was beginning my journey. And then obviously meeting Ralph, who had actually started out with the Warrens as well. It's, it's just all part of that same kind of tree. Uh, I guess we're all leaves off the same tree on a, on a broad <laughs> thought. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That is so amazing. So do you, um, you know, what you've just described to me is, um, do you, do you have a lot of fear when you're going into these things? Uh, you can't, I mean, at this point, I don't, I don't have fear. Uh, if you fear evil, then it undermines your faith. Cause if you truly believe that God's more powerful than any, any devil, demon or diabolical force, these evil spirits can't do to you idealistically what they want to do to you. And they will smell it on you like a, a fish flapping in the water. That's, <laughs> you know, signaling in a frequency to sharks that you are a good, um, prey, you're good prey and they'll right. come to you. They'll smell it on you and they'll use it against you. They'll manipulate it. Um, so they can take advantage of that um, and they can amplify your emotions from the shadows um, when you subconsciously invite it in or, or verbally invite it in. They're always looking for a crack in your aura to use it against you, especially someone like me. And 
who helps people and tries to help spirits who are are lost. And I've had evil spirits that have tried to, you know, take revenge against me. Um, and it's something I'll probably have to live with for the rest of my life um, because I've I've done things. I've taken souls potentially away from the devil. And that that's actually the um, definitive uh you know, synopsis of the documentary Malefist that I did for Scare Network, which is uh, probably my proudest paranormal film, film project I've ever done because it's so personal to me. Uh, it's literally that's what the story is about, um, you know, freeing two female spirits from a demonic force and wanting it, you know, wanting to take revenge against me. It stuck with me for five years um, and it tried to mess with like a potential relationship with someone, took credit for it. And I realized I had to return back to this this dark location and we investigated for four days straight to validate my experiences from five years before. And ultimately I did the exorcism ritual on the house and the evidence that we got um, in this documentary is just absolutely astounding. Um, it's just, it's just something very unique and uh, it, it holds very personal to me. Um, but it, it, you know, again, it just brings back that story of good versus evil. And uh, you know, um, for me, it's like, you, you think a lot of people go into houses and you try to uh, avoid you know, the devil getting souls, um, you know, from people that are living in the house. But think about if there's souls that are actually trapped by the devil and you prayed for them and God let these souls cross over into the light. You're, you're talking about taking souls away from the devil. That's a whole new level. And, uh, right. you know, something sat with me for a very long time because of that, um, trying to re seek revenge. Um, so uh, it kind of gives it an awareness of that on that deep level. So when you're encountering these things, um, is it similar to, um, like when you use a Ouija board, you have to open it and you have to close it to make sure that nothing, you know, continues on after that. Do you find, did you find like over your years of experience that, um, especially like you said, the one you just described where, you know, the thing was following you for five years, do, do you find that your methods change so that you can prevent that sort of thing from happening? Well, to a degree, I mean, things will always happen to me. I'm sensitive. I'll have dreams. And because I'm more uh, prone to picking up on their presence and feeling, hearing and seeing them on top of the fact that I constantly go out and investigate places that are dark, there's always going to be some sort of residual energy that may come home with you. It's kind of like a, like a bus stop, really. They might come in and try to spook you and then they'll take off. I mean, it's just something you have to live with. Um, it's not like it's like scary and dark all the times, but occasionally there may be something weird that happens and I just get my water gun filled with holy water and I say, get out. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the cockroach commercial, you know, with raid and all the cockroaches <laughs> screaming out, not raid. I mean, at this point, it, I'm so accustomed to so much and, and the creepiness that can happen. It's just kind of, it's just, it's just a part of my life. It's as normal as inhaling and exhaling oxygen at this point. Um, you know, I just, I don't let them get to me. Um, and being aware on that level, how they can manipulate your emotions and psychologically and, and being oppressed before throughout the years. Uh, it's only made me stronger spiritually and made my faith stronger as well. Um, so it's just part of the journey. And because, I, you know, I investigate so many places, things happen, um, you know, once in a while. It's just how it goes. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. And so your investigations, do they, if you go to one particular location, for example, do they take... Um, you know, my understanding is a lot of ghost investigations take several days or weeks. Is that how it is for you? I mean, I've done investigations that have gone on for long periods of time. I've lived in like a place like the Bel Air house for seven, eight days in a row. Uh, but 
I've done, you know, seven haunted locations that are all different seven days in a row and driving like thousands of miles in between. That's pretty extreme. But, you know, when I did 28 Days Haunted, I mean, we literally had to go on that property and we could not leave. We had no communication with the outside world. Like, so, you know, it's a different ball game. You don't have any escape or any social environments to kind of joke around, go out, have a drink, you know, get food with your friends. I mean, there was no escape. I mean, we were literally one of those earthbound spirits on the property with wow. the ones that were there. I mean, that's what it really felt like to me. Um, and that's how I had this really, truly deep connection with the female spirit um, on the property. And it goes deeper um, than you even see on the show. And actually, I'm I'm right now in North Carolina right now filming uh, tomorrow a music video because of the female spirit uh, that I was on the property with. Um I brought my guitar with me because I had no outlet. I figured because I love playing music, I want to be creative. And I picked up this, this woman, Mercy Adelaide Grant, um, her spirit and, and her loss and tapping into her emotion from that. Um, and uh, she, I basically co-wrote this song with her and uh, I have proof that she knew about the song uh, and her voice, her EVP is actually a part of the song. Oh, wow. Uh, um, and uh, I'm really excited to kind of share people, share with people um i'm going to present the evidence that give a little bit more uh clarity on how truly profound my connection to this female spirit was and um how beautiful emotional uh and sad all at once um how, how it was but that's why you know i i felt like i needed to do justice to this song and i told her i would do that when i was on the property whether it was on the show or not i knew that the, you know this moment this connection i had with her this experience that uh it just um, it really took me over. Um, uh, I knew it was bigger than me and bigger than, you know, whatever show I'm filming for. Like I, I knew I just I had to share this story because it's it's so unique and so, so profound. Um, the fact of, uh, you know, just just talking about yearning for someone uh, talk about love, how powerful that is. And her spirit still searching for her captain or waiting for her love to come home. And her spirit was there coming to me. Uh, in bed all the time, uh, you know, we really connected, uh, and uh, I'm 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 giving that song justice, just like I told her I would do when I was at her grave, uh, kind of tearing up, uh, as you saw on the show. But it, again, it went deeper than that because it was it, it was regarding the song. That's incredible. That's amazing. Um, so, would you consider that one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that you found? Yes. Um, I, I literally have her humming the melody of the song that I came up with on the property that I was humming by myself and around the house by myself and even outside on EVP. This is something I came up with, you know, around the house. Uh, and uh, I even have a straight sentence of her, you know, saying she wanted to learn how to play the song. And uh, it's just the whole thing. Just, uh, the whole thing is just really wild. And I just can't wait to share, um, share it. Cause it's truly beautiful. Um, it, it's, it's something that, definitely needs to be sharing out I'll, I'll have it as a part as my part of my lecture for the rest of my life wow that's awesome when when will that be released i'm trying to get it out maybe by the end of this month but what it's going to be is going to be a little docu story so I'll, I'll tell this story it's kind of a little bit an extension of what you saw on the show um and then i'm going to present the evps of what happened and, and kind of like a recording of me because i had the audio when i was sitting in that chair in that room uh, and how emotional I was. And, and basically I'm, I'm sitting there on audio saying, Oh my God, she knows I'm going to write the song. I was hearing the acoustic chord in my head 
And right before that on the recording, she's humming the melody to a song that I came up with and I hummed around the house, which is absolutely just insane. So. Wow. That's, that's just incredible. Um, I wanted to, as we're kind of um, getting towards the end here, I wanted to ask you about um, Amityville, the resurgence. Um, first of all, I, I wanted to tell us, you know, what that's about and how that came about. And I also wanted to ask, did, do you think Ronald DeFeo was possessed by the devil or influenced? Um, I definitely believe demons were involved with the murders of the DeFeo family and what the Lutz experienced. If there was stuff that was exaggerated, there's always that possibility, but not until you go and witness something firsthand, um, experience wise, well, it could potentially change your mind. That's something that's what that documentary is about. So years ago, I went and live streamed for something to do on a platform called Periscope. And I went by the DeFeo grave, um, and, and did some sessions and, uh, this name John was coming through and this little kid started coming through the spirit box. And I believed it to, to be John DeFeo, um, still trapped, um, from the murders associated with the Amityville house. And, um, I prayed for this kid. The kid asked me for prayer. And this is something I even discussed, discussed with Ralph, which is something that actually broadened his, uh, theories and stuff that he, he never thought of was if demons could actually trap human spirits. And it's something that's been a part of my journey in the paranormal um, because if a demon would ever ask for prayer for any reason. And uh, once I prayed for that kid, um, I started to have nightmares about the house and seeing a black mist go through my ceiling at 3.15 in the morning uh, loads of times. So it's, it's kind of like um, I have drawings of these visions um, and, uh, you know, I have paranormal evidence of, of the Amityville story and things having to do with it follow me around. I even have George Lutz's voice on the spirit box saying Amityville stole my soul and I compare it with his real voice um, in an interview and it's uncanny identical. Wow. That's incredible. And Ralph, Ralph ended up coming back with me in front of the house uh, after telling him. And uh, you know, he was blown away as I was that night with the, some of the stuff that we got while we're standing in front of the Amityville house. So we have that footage there. Um, and then, um, you know, Billy, the, the filmmaker of scare network.tv, we went, I said, all right, if we're going to do a documentary about this, because I wrote about it in my second book, Shadow Chasing the In-Between, uh, I was like, you know what, we should go back there and try to get, you know, a couple more pieces of evidence to validate what had happened a year or two before, you know, because we ultimately believed that John crossed over. And we went back there and we had this crazy light anomaly flying around the car in the middle of the winter. And it comes right through the windshield, flying around inside the car with me and shut my camera off. And the responses that we got referencing um, what we believed happened is truly astounding. And we actually just screened um, the Amityville documentary in the town of Amityville this past Thursday. And uh, I was starting to have weird things happen. Um, all three of us, the lady who was uh, through it, who's in the documentary, Billy and myself all had strange things happening. Um, and I even heard flies buzzing in my ears like I was around the time when the story was happening. Uh, so it's, it's, it's definitely something about that story, man. It sticks to you. Um, and uh, I've experienced it firsthand. Wow. And you know, those are the types wow. of those are the types of um, you know uh, cases that really interest me. Uh, the ones that stick around for months afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid um, in 1983, my parents and I went on to on vacation to Long Island, and we specifically went to Amityville to to you know see the house. And we couldn't get down that the street it's on because they were having like a block party or something. So my father drove across the, the river 
and we took photos from the from the backside of it. And I know she has them in her photo album somewhere. Uh, my mother, the 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 we, he took two pictures, and this was back when you you know you had to go and get the film developed or whatever. And the Amityville house itself is is blurry, but all the houses on either side of it are perfectly clear. And the boathouse is white, but it gives off a gray reflection in the water, whereas the the houses next to it give off black reflections. And I always thought that was weird. There was something to that, you know? There's a lot of strange stories. There's even someone else that I experiences too that wouldn't even, didn't even want to show his face on the documentary, but he tells some of the stuff that happens on the documentary that I randomly met online while I was writing the story. Um, I mean, there's there's something seriously creepy and eerie about that story that's true um, that I, I'll you know I'll be wondering about. It's it's definitely one of the most fascinating paranormal cases of all time in the manner that the Fayo family actually you know passed away. Um, in the house it's just it's really fucking weird so yeah yeah so you mentioned you use a spirit box um what other tools do you use for investigating do you use dowsing rods at all i don't mess around with that i personally feel like that that can end up being dangerous and stuff like that so i don't you know specifically mess around with things like of that nature um but i do evps um you know your typical mel meters emf detectors em pumps um, you know, triggers, you know, sensors and all stuff like that. I mean, all your typical stuff, but I really do love a lot of the ITC, the straight up communication with spirits. Um, cause you know, especially with my abilities, I can kind of correlate with things that I pick up and see what it says, if it connects in any way. So, yeah. Well, that's amazing. That's amazing. And so as we wrap up here, so 28 days haunted is on uh, Netflix, correct? Yes. And how many episodes did you do for that? Uh, there were six episodes. Excellent, excellent. And how, how did that whole thing get started, just out of curiosity? Uh, how to get started? Um, I guess it was a concept that was uh, brought with uh, Tony Spera, um, you know, in, in charge of Nesper and Dan Rivera. Um, I guess that's how it started. And that was something that Ed Warren came up with, the cycle of the 28 days. And ironically, it's that theory probably came from Ed having to do with the Amityville house because the Lutz family ran out after 28 days. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, and left all their furniture behind. So awesome. Awesome. Um, but yeah, also, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to know, I'm going to be in Salem, um, at the, uh, Salem con next weekend, I believe it's the 12th and the 13th and right back into the Amityville again, November 13th is the anniversary of the DeFeo family murders. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm going to be there too, so I'll get to meet you in person, which will be awesome. Nice. And do you have any other projects you want to plug? Um, just just go to scarednetwork.tv. I'm constantly doing new documentaries. There'll be new ones coming out in the coming months. Um, there's a free app on Roku, uh, Fire Stick, and Apple. You can stream right from there. I think it's only like 29 bucks for the year, and we're constantly putting up raw genuine amazing real uh creepy paranormal stories and just paranormal content in general um so you know jump on there you can even rent some titles and stuff like that so um other than that uh yeah i always live stream on tiktok a lot of my investigations and on youtube awesome awesome well thanks so much sean you know we could go on for hours and you know i'd love to have you back sometime in the future to really dive into some paranormal stuff if you ever get a chance if your if your schedule's free enough <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I release this song, I want to get on every podcast possible and talk about it and play the play the song and stuff like that. So I'm um, in the evidence of the humming. So um, 
Yeah, definitely would love that. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. All right, buddy. All right. I'll see you next weekend. You too. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. And rounding out our interviews with some of the guests that will be at the Salem Paracon is actor Hal Havens. Okay, folks, our guest today is an actor who's been in such shows as Parks and Recreation, Westworld, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Fear the Walking Dead, Mad TV, and many, many more. He's also been in such films as Night of the Demons, Witch Trap, and Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bullorama, again, just to name a few. He's worked with such actors as Linnea Quigley, Dean Cain, Brink Stevens, Terry Hatcher, Rex Smith, Sybil Danning, Corey Haim, Ron Perlman, and Linda Hamilton, among several others. Ladies and gentlemen... Don't forget Eddie Murphy. Oh, and Eddie Murphy. I'm sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Hal Havens. Hey, how's it going? It's nice Good. to talk to you, Roger. You too. Glad you could be here. I, You know, I, I apologize for leaving Eddie Murphy off the list. No, I was just teasing you. <laughs> you know, if you start doing those lists, they end up so long, you don't know who to say. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, Hal, can you give us um, give us a, a, a brief history as to how you got onto the path of acting? I just, I've always wanted to do it, you know. I, I remember when I was really young, before I went to school, back then there used to be talk shows on, in the morning, which they are now, yeah. but for a while they didn't have them. Anyway, on these talk shows, they'd always have a stand-up comedian. And my mom would watch these talk shows and soap operas, and I would memorize what they said, try to anyway, run into the bathroom and perform them. i perform the scene or the stand-up. And I remember I was too short to look in the mirror. <laughs> and I, I still remember the day that I grew tall enough that I could see my hair in the bottom of the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be there. I'm almost there. That's hilarious. But yeah, that's how the love for it started. And... uh I, I don't know. I like everybody. I started in school, and I just fell in love with it immediately, and I've been doing it, you know, the rest of my life. Nice. And I won't stop until I have a heart attack with a standing ovation on stage. That's my goal. <laughs> well, it's good to have goals in life, you know? <laughs> hey, a few people have made it. A few people have done it. Oh, man, that's awesome. So I have to ask you right off the bat because it's one of my favorite shows, and I know you've got a, you've got a long list here to, to go through. But I've got to ask you about the episode of Street Hawk that you were in. Uh, what do you remember from that, if anything? It was called Vegas Run, and Sybil Danning co-starred in it. Yeah, I remember. Here's what I remember. It was, I guess, a pretty small role. Uh, I don't remember. It was some kind of punks, and I remember a van. But what I mostly remember is when. I was getting makeup and it was an old school makeup man in the old days. They were all guys, right? Yeah. And this is one of those guys that survived into the eighties and he does my makeup and he goes, man, that is a fantastic job. Too bad. Nobody's going to see it. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going to be on screen for five seconds. Oh. I was like, Oh, that was the biggest burn. I couldn't believe it. 
I was like, my roll's longer than five seconds. Fuck you. <laughs> it was hilarious. But yeah, I was, um, it, I don't remember much of the shoot. I remember it was fun. I liked the van. The van was cool. Did you get to meet was, like Rex Smith or uh, Joe Rugobuto, any of those guys? I believe, I believe Rex was there. I think he was playing, you know, he was playing the bad guy. Uh, not the bad guy, the good guy. We were the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. And I think his stunt guy was there riding. But I really don't remember much to tell you the truth. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> that was that was a long time ago. <laughs> That's okay. But I remember I was very happy to do it. You know? Oh yes. Yeah. I took any work I could get. You know, I still do. It's like you know, you want to. There used to be an actor, Slim Pickens. Do you know who he is? Of course, yeah. Yeah, and he was he was a very big star. And people asked him, "How did you become a star?" Because he's not really actor looking guy and he says because i do anything and i work every day and people know who i am and i was like man that's the mentality to have just work get the work done yeah but, uh, i'll tell you what there's a thing about him that nobody knows when he was young he was really handsome really i saw him and um he was a real cowboy he was like serious cowboy and he was in some film where he had to ride crazily up and down caverns and rocks across streams and i stopped watching because i started to watch it because it was just shocking that somebody could ride like that and he pulls up to the little cabin hops off and he slim pickets wow. no cut it was him he was doing it all and he was a really good looking tall guy wow. and then you know at one point he started to look like me and tall <laughs> it's I funny feel bad for him it's funny that you brought him up too, because just the other day, for some reason, his line from one of his lines from uh, "Blazing Saddles" was running through my head. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> he was great, man. He really was. Yeah, I, I, I really looked at those little guys. I love to read about old Hollywood. Oh yeah, especially those character actors. You know, I have a book. It's a, um, I think it's called you know. Faces you remember with names you forget, or something like that. Yeah, it's you know all these people that these character actors that are. You look at the cover and you're like, I know him, I know her, I know him. <laughs> yeah, you do. You know all these people. You just don't know who they are because they don't get you know publicity really. Yeah, but um, you know, so many of them are just great actors. You know, especially back then. Oh yeah. If you look yeah. back in the '40s, I mean, the pool of actors was amazing. And, they were so good. I mean, today's, you know, there's a lot of great actors today. I think yeah. the best actor, probably the best actor in history is is Meryl Streep or um, Robert Duvall. One or the other, you can take your pick. Right. But um, I think they're the best ever. Yeah. Uh, film actors, anyway. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, yeah, so we got, we got some good ones now. But, man, you look back in the 40s and the pool was deep. Everybody was good. Everybody but the producer's girlfriend. Right. <laughs> like, everybody would be great, and there'd be one hot blonde walk in and not be so good, and you're like, oh, oh I know who she is. <laughs> That's is funny. that rude? Should I not have said that? No, it's fine. <laughs> There's okay. always that one character where you're like, oh, she's terrible. <laughs> yeah. How'd it happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Right. <laughs> it's romance. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, you know, the early days were fun. That's and, great. Uh, That's great. I'm going to you know, jump it's... jump around a little bit here. Because, sure. um We did mention, uh, you mentioned Eddie Murphy earlier that I forgot sure. to put in my notes. 
Uh, you were in the movie Life with him and um, yeah. uh, what's his name, Martin Lawrence. Yeah. So what was that like? Because uh, Ted Demi directed that, right? He's Jonathan Demi's brother? Son. Son. Oh, okay. Yeah. He passed away, unfortunately, shortly oh, after the film. Right. Yep. But um, working with Eddie and, and, and Martin, was it was the most difficult thing I've ever done, probably. Because I was huge fans of both. So the whole time, I'm just thinking, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Don't <laughs> laugh. I couldn't even I couldn't even think to say my lines because I was so worried about breaking when they were going off, you know? Yeah. And they were so good. And Eddie Murphy is such a film technician. He is so good. He walks in. We do a walkthrough rehearsal. And he just says, hmm, this won't do. And then he walks over and we're in a diner. And he walks over and sits at one of the tables and says, we're going to take a break. So we took a half hour break. We came back. He'd completely rewritten the scene and it was perfect. Oh, wow. It was amazing. And he changed the block. He changed everything. And it was just like he was so talented when it came to film. He still is, but it was yeah. amazing to see. You don't often get to see that, you know? Right, right. It's like, it's like watching Eddie Van Halen play in person. Oh, wow. Know? Yeah. For me, anyway. That must be when you amazing. watch a technician like that, just like, he, you know, and he just clipped the tops off everything. He just like... He had a bush basically, and he just cleaned it up, you know. Yeah. But he cleaned it up perfectly. It was—it's like one of the most impressive things I've ever seen when it comes to work. That's so, awesome. Also, you got to be Eddie Murphy to get away with it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and was it a long shoot? No, I was only there for a day. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, a day in and out, play my, my normal retarded guy. <laughs> special? No, I don't say that with any joke. I mean, that's. Kind of what when I was young, I specialized in was mentally disabled characters. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I did. I've done a bunch of them. And, right. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I have a great affinity for people that uh, struggle to get through the world. You know. Right. So do I. You know. I think we all do. Yeah. Some people just have bigger limitations. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah. I've been. I've enjoyed it. I've been lucky that I've kind of found that niche a bit, and you know, got me a lot of work. Hey, it worked for um, what's his name? Uh, the, oh my God, my brain is not working today. Um, Billy Bob Thornton. Yes, exactly. You know, look what he was able to do. Just a short film. Originally, that was just a short film he did. He was screwing around in the, his uh, dressing room. Somebody for some job where they put makeup on him, and he was playing with the makeup, and he came up with that character, and he did a short film. Boom, everybody saw the short film, loved it, and gave him the money to make a feature. Wow. So, you know, it was it was his creativity. He's a wonderful talent, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's just, he's amazing. I love watching him work. Yeah, he's really good. He's good. Yeah. But no, I've done it, you know, I've played the same, I mean, I've played disabled people in, like, Return of Desperado and the Morris D story and the one we just talked about. I've done it, like... Every year or two, I've, I've booked another one. I'm waiting to book one now. Wow. Actually, uh, we're actually talking to somebody about it now, doing a, a biopic. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's good. So, um, so yeah, if it works. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so I want to move around a little bit. Like I said, um, I want to ask you about working with uh, director Jim Abrams on Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, because, of course, uh -huh. he's famous for... You know the the Zucker brothers, and um, he was part of the those guys doing airplane and those kind of yeah. movies. No, he was great. I mean, he was fantastic. 
and uh, he another guy that just knows his business. He's the first um, director I saw that kept the writer on the set and actually utilized her skills. Oh wow! Uh, he never tried. He never tried to come up with any lines himself, improv lines. He said he'd just go get her and say, "This is what I need to do." She'd want to run off, write it for a while, come back if he liked it. They did it, and uh, he's the first person I ever saw do that. That you know gave that kind of respect to the writer. Usually they're not wanted on the set, right? <laughs> yeah, it's because it's like you know we're taking your baby, but you know we're killing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the exactly way the writer feels. There's a story about Bob Hope and Bing Crosby doing one of the road pictures, and the writer was sitting there as a young writer, and it was his first film, and he's sitting there and he's not hearing a single line of dialogue that he wrote. Bob Hope and Bing Crosby just improving through the whole thing. And at one point, Bob Hope turns around and goes, if you hear one of your lines, yell bingo. <laughs> I thought that was pretty harsh. Yeah. <laughs> but funny. Oh, man. Yeah, I love, love that stuff. That's hilarious. And what was but that yeah, production Abrams like? Yeah, Abrams was really good. The only thing I didn't like about it was he effed up my hair. Oh, really? Yeah, everybody back then, there was a fad, people wearing greased hair, slicked back. And I looked like a pumpkin when I creased my hair. Oh. <laughs> not a good look for me. I tried to explain it. It's not going to work. But they did it anyway. That's funny. And it really, uh, I, I didn't like it. But it doesn't matter. It's not my film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you get to work with Winona Ryder or Jeff Daniels? I did not. No, I was there with um, everybody else. God, I wish I could remember who it was because they were all people. I was just like, oh, I know you. I know you. I know you. Right, right. It was an amazing cast. And so we were all together because it was a huge group scene. It was a, uh, if I remember right, it was just, it was people oh, at the party because Roxy was going to come home to the party. And I guess the party was there. Jesus, you shouldn't ask me questions about 40-year-old films. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they were throwing the party anyway, waiting for Roxy to show up. Yeah. And I think that's what it was. I was there. It was like different people commenting on what was going on. So it was a blast. That's you know, awesome. I was not used to, I wasn't used to big films at that point. Right. So, it's, you know, everything I've done has been a blast pretty much. There's only one job that was no good that I really felt bad about. But uh, I'll never say what it was publicly. <laughs> but there was only one. All the others I just loved. It's like, you know, this is what you do. Yeah. And you fight for it and you work for it every day. And when you get to do it, it's a thrill. Right. You know, you hear people complain about it, but, you know, that's just because people get tired. But it's nothing to complain about. It's the greatest gift you could get. Oh, yeah. Making a living this way, you know, you can't beat it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, speaking of your TV work, um, pr prior to the, to the movies, uh, you were on Beauty and the Beast, where you played a punk in an episode. <laughs> yes, you, I was a punk. Did you get to work with uh, Linda Hamilton or Ron Perlman or both? I did not. I worked with, oh, God, what was his name? See, you're messing me up again. Roy Dotras? Uh, no. I, I can't think of his name, but he was playing um, somebody who was mimicking the Beast and going into the subways and taking out the scum, right? He had fake claws that he had that he'd cut people with. And oh, uh, so Richard Partlow. Hmm? Was it Richard Partlow? It might be. I mean, I can look it up. It takes two seconds. Uh, let's see. Oh, he did the voice of the underground man. 
I used to love that show. I remember when it first came on, and I, I watched it religiously through all the seasons. Oh, people went crazy for Ron Perlman. I mean, they just absolutely they went nuts for him. Oh, yeah. And he had that, that beautiful voice, and he's like eight feet tall, so yeah. women love him. <laughs> and men want to be him. That's right. <laughs> and he's just got that, that the, with the lion face, he just looks so awesome. It's such a great makeup yes. job. It was a great face. He wasn't, it wasn't really deformed. It was very cool. God, when did when did this happen? What year was this thing? It was eighty seven. It was the it was the episode "Terrible Savior." If you go on your own IMDb page, the episode is. I'm trying to find it. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. I see Richard Partlow at the very bottom is Underground Man, but then it says Voice. So it must be Clay Wilcox as Creep. I don't know if that's Dorian Harewood. That's who it was. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was the one in the suit, I believe. Okay. Anyway, he was in it with us. He was there. <laughs> yeah, he was on V, sure I think. Huh? I think he was on the show V, if you remember that. Yeah, okay. Dorian's great, man. He's done a ton of stuff. Yeah. He's a, he, I think I believe he's still with us because, you know, he's close to my age. I don't think he's much older than me. Yeah. But he's, he's really good. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Uh, who else is good? That's gonna blow smoke up their dress. <laughs> I don't know. You know, that's the thing. I just love this business, and I love the people in it. And you know, I've only been disappointed a couple times in my entire career, and that's you know, forty-five years now, forty years, something like that. Wow. And uh, so I've been really, really lucky. You know, I've, I've heard horror stories, but I just never run into them. I've been very lucky. Right. You know, so I'm grateful to everything that's happened. That's awesome. I'm over sincere. You know, I can get over sincere so easily. <laughs> it's crazy. So what all right, let's let's come up. Hmm? Go ahead. I was gonna say let's come up with a question that's funny. Right. <laughs> I wanted to what ask you so, was was Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama? Was that your first feature film? No, that was uh, second or third. Second or third. Oh, okay. I, that was right after uh, Night of the Demons, which is why I, my hair is so short. Because oh, I had to have to shave it every day because the color from Night of the Demons was still, like, inside there. So when it grew out, it grew out with the color pattern. I don't know if you ever saw Night of the Demons. but Yeah, a long time ago, but I have seen it. I had my head carved on the sides. It was a chevron on one side and straight lines on the other. And the straight lines were orange and black for Halloween. And the chevrons were, I don't remember. But they were different colors, too. So when they grow in, you'd see this, the pattern from what was shaved earlier. So I had to keep shaving the sides of my head for a while. And that's why that's why my hair is so short in uh, sorority days. Oh, okay. And I think it worked, because I think it makes me look like a doofus. Right, right. Because those both so, came out in 88, the same year as uh, Return of Desperado. So they were all kind of released in the same year. Yeah. Okay. So my question They're actually was, was hmm? my question was when you um, went to film from TV, was it sort of a, a culture shock for you, or were you easily able to uh, adapt to the different way of shooting? You know, a single camera shoot versus three you know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, I mean, I don't. I teach, and one of the things I teach is you don't pay attention to the camera, you don't play to the camera. You basically, it's like being on stage. On stage, you find the light. 
you have to find your light, right? Right. And how do you do that? You do that by feeling it. It's heat. You feel the heat. So then you're in your light, right? If yeah. it's cold, you're not in the light. Right. So you don't really like, you don't look up to the light, see where it's coming from, or look down at the floor and see where it is. You just feel it. You find it. And that's the same thing with the camera. You feel it. You kind of stay open to it, but you don't play to it. So no matter what you're doing, it's the same thing. The, now, everything has different, uh, you know, different, uh, what's the word, uh, tropes. Right. So, or different styles, you know, like sitcoms different from television drama. Television drama is different from feature drama. Right. And you have to try to be careful of that because it's really easy to go in and audition with the uh, with the, the wrong intention, the wrong style, you know, oh, okay. you walk yeah. into a television drama and think you're doing a feature and play it like it's a feature. And that's not what they want. Right. They want you to give the information and get off the shot. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. So you have to kind of be careful about that. You have to, you have to know what you're, know what medium you're working in. But other than that, you know, I mean, it's just these small changes. And as far as the camera goes, you just, it doesn't matter if there's 20 cameras or one camera. You just right. play your scene, and it's the operator's job to find you to, to get the shot. Yeah. You know, you have to be helpful. You can't expect them to, you know, move the dolly all the way across the set just because you don't feel like turning it around. Right. But, yeah, you know, so everything you do is different in a sense. You know, every every scene is different. Every film is different. Every TV show is different. Yeah, yeah. They all have different. They all have different vibes, you know, different paces, right? And you have to, you know, you have to find that vibe, that pace, and you have to be able to incorporate it into your performance. So the people hiring you know they feel like you, you know, you fit in the show already. Like, you know, they're he's already there. I don't have to stretch him to get into the into the pace and style of the show because he knows it. Right, right. And so if it's a show that's on, you have to watch. You know, you have yeah. to flip it on and start watching. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Let's get a little, let's get a little inside baseball, I guess. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. So on, on um, the film Sorority Babes, you worked with, obviously, D uh, director David Dakota. Yes, David Dakota. Dakota. There you go. <laughs> and how was he as a director? He was great. I mean, he was a funny guy. He, un he you know, he kind of unleashed the beast, so. Uh, there's a scene where we're trying to get inside. I guess we're breaking into the uh, the bowling alley, and uh, we, we finished the scene and we just stood there. Everybody's waiting for cut. There was no cut. We kept waiting, waiting, and finally one of the girls said, uh, "We're we're done. That's all the scene. What are we doing?" And he said, "I'm waiting for Hal to do something funny." <laughs> I hear this voice out of the dark. You know, I'm like, okay, if that's the game. You know, you set the rules, I'll play. So from then on, it was open season. It was anything I wanted to do, I just did. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it's nice to have somebody that will give you free reign like that. I mean, you can't be crazy with it. You have to play the character. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you've got a lot of you got a lot of open space you can run in. Right, right. And that's nice, you know. So Dave was really cool. It was a fun shoot, except... Uh, and both times I had to do this twice. My wife had had a surgery, right? And it was a pretty serious, serious surgery. And she was getting pretty sick. So at night, I would leave and drive home and take care of her all night. And then in the morning, 
Well, it was actually in the morning because our night was the morning because we were shooting at night. Okay, yeah. In the morning, I'd drive home, take care of her all day. And then I'd come back at night to shoot. So I was driving from Hollywood to San Diego, you know, every day. Wow. Twice, I guess. <laughs> right. So, but, uh, yeah, you know, you still got to do the work. Oh, exactly. And, and you got to bring your A game. You know, you got to be prepared and know your lines and re be ready to go. Yes, you do. Yeah, you have to. It's, especially when you're doing lower budget stuff because they just don't have time. Right. There's right. no time. Yeah, you, you want to hit it the first time. Yeah. And that's a good thing. You know, there's a good thing about low budget stuff in that you get a lot of interpretation because they don't have time. They can't go back and shoot something three or four times. Right. So you can kind of do what you want, really. If you find something you need to change, you feel like you should change. You can just do it, and they can't do anything about it because they can't afford to reshoot it. <laughs> no, I'm not advocating any actor do that. The goal <laughs> is to play the script, right? The script that you're given has to be played, but sometimes, you know, they need to be dressed up a little bit. That's all. Yeah. I mean, that's like the, the um, I've talked to a lot of soap actors, too, and I, I actually I write soap opera news for a living, and, you know, those well, actors, they're getting... Uh, upwards of 40 to 140 pages a day with one take maybe two if something goes wrong technically um and so they've really got to bring their a game to you know to the thing because they're doing you know episodes five days a week all year long with yeah. their repeats you know exactly no they, they work their tails off but um you know it's worth it right you know the work is right. the thing it's like that's what you know makes you complete right for most of us. So and, on, uh, on... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was going to say, so on Sorority Babes, uh, did you get a chance to work with uh, Linnea Quigley and Brink Stevens? Sure. Awesome. How yeah, was that? of course. Linnea's the one that got me the job. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell she us. was going to do it, and she said, you know who you should use for this character? You should use Hal. And they said, who's Hal? <laughs> <laughs> I went over and had lunch with them, and they said, "Hey, you want to do our movie?" I was like, "Yes, sir." That's but awesome. yeah, that's uh, that just I don't know that uh, I love Renee. I mean, she's a great lady. I get to see her, you know, not as much as I'd like. And now she's devoting herself to the dogs. She uh, has a dog rescue that's massive. I don't know how she does it. Oh but, wow! Um, yeah, she's taking care of these animals. She's been doing it for a long time. She's very serious about it. She's been doing it. Maybe 15 years now or something. Maybe even more. Wow. But, uh, yeah. So, I like the name. I think we're really high level. And, and uh, had you worked with her prior to that? Yeah. Night of the Demons. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. I shouldn't know that. Yeah, we did three films together. Night of the Demons, Sorority Babes, and uh, Witch Trap. Witch Trap, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I've, I've got to spend a lot of time with her. She's a really great lady. I like her. Frank's very nice, too. She's... I saw her, I don't know, a few years ago. She's still sweet as punch. So nice. I think she's one of those southern ladies. She's just sweet. She's just nice. Right. I like her. That was a, that was a fun cast. It really was. That's and, awesome. And most of them kept working. A lot of times you do smaller films. Uh, they don't keep working that long. They, they'll go another year or two and then yeah. quit, you know, because... It gets rough, and there's times you have to just, you just have to suck it up, and keep moving ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a fun shoot. That was that was a blast. That's awesome. Yeah, that's one I'm gonna have to revisit again soon. 
because um, I remember seeing that uh, Dennis, uh, what's his name? Um, oh. Bruce Dern used to host a, a show on it, back when they had the Speed Channel. I think it's now. I don't know. They changed the names. But yeah. he, it was called The Lost Drive-In, and he was at a drive-in theater, and he would host movies, and that was one of the films. And oh, that's that awesome. When, I, I first saw Bruce it. Dern? Yeah. yeah, Bruce Dern. It was back in the late 90s, because I was living with my ex-wife at the time before we were married. And I, I remember smokes. we came home late. It was on at like 2 in the morning. We came home, and I turned on the TV, and there it was. I was like, ooh, i got to watch this. That's very cool. Yeah, I'd watch Bruce Dern do anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's another great one. Yeah. So uh, we're going to start wrapping up here pretty quickly. Um, All right. But I wanted to ask you about uh, Fear the Walking Dead and what that was like. I love Fear the Walking Dead. Man, again, I keep saying I love it because I, I do love it. I love my work. I love what we do. Yeah. And I, love, I genuinely love most of the people that are involved in it, you know? Well, it's, it's an industry where everybody tries to treat each other respectfully, by and large. But yeah, Fear the Walking Dead was awesome. We shot down in Mexico. I think I was I was there for weeks and weeks and weeks. I have no idea how long I was there, wow. but I don't, it didn't work very much. So I spent most of my time hanging by the pool or hanging at the beach. <laughs> and then it was just so cool. I went down there twice for them. Spent a lot of time down there, and then I've started uh, going back to that same town four times a year. You oh know? wow! I just I love that little town. It's it's so nice, and uh, you know it's very very small. It's Rosarita Beach. It's very small, and there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of anything. It's just small, and it's <laughs> nice. It's literally downtown. The area I hang in is maybe three blocks. It's very tiny and it's very cool, and you know it's touristy, so everybody's nice. They have to be cool. But we shot down there on this huge ranch. Um, I don't know. I think it was up about thirty minutes. It took us to drive to the set when we entered the ranch. Yeah. And we never did see the ranch house. Huh. That's how big this ranch is. I don't know who owned it, but it was massive. And it was beautiful. Like hills on the beach and huge. I guess, well, across the freeway. And it was just huge and went on forever. And so they could build, you know, the show could build whatever they wanted to build, basically. So they had built, you know, communities for each season, basically. And, uh, I think it was in the third season. So we all lived in uh, like trailers, you know? Yeah. We had all, we had all gone to the ranch, but uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good show. I liked it. That's cool. Did you have to deal with any of the special effects at all? Yeah. You know, I got bit. So once you get bit, you're, you're, you're dead. Right. Um, I think that's kind of how they fire most people. Makeup walks up and goes, we're going to put a bite on you right here. <laughs> In my case, it was, um, oh, what they call it? Meat jelly, I think they called it. It was cubes of gelatin that were it just soaked in blood with some other viscous thing in it. I don't know what it was. It was horrible. <laughs> and uh, they packed it on my belly for an open wound. And one poor zombie had to eat it because oh, he was eating me. He was killing me. <laughs> I felt so bad for the guy, but I couldn't stop making jokes. It was, it was, a, that was a great deck. That was a funny deck. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That is they so were, cool. they were really, it's such a great, you know, crews, 
can be so great. You know, it's just like you want to hang around them. You want to be there. Yeah. And that was one of those shows where everybody's just tight and right. They knew their business. They were all cool. And it's just like, and they do a massive job. They do, you know, when they go, well, we need some zombie extras. They mean, they mean 50 to 100. And somebody's got to dress them and put no makeup on them, right? And they're just, that's all they do. They just handle the zombies. But they're great at it, you know? Yeah. And so it's a, it was a great show. It was, it was a big show in scope. Oh, yeah. Which you usually don't do, you know? Usually, for me, you know, I'll be, I'll be the guy in the pawn shop or whatever. Uh, I don't usually get out there in cowboy and Indian land. And that's what that that season was with the Cowboys and Indians. That's what they were they named they named that season. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I loved it. That's but you so got to mention Paracon. I was that's just about to. Coast. It's next on my list. <laughs> oh, cool. That's why I'm on the East Coast. I've been bouncing around doing appearances, and uh, this is the last one. Paracon. Uh, what is it? The Paracon Paranormal or oh, Paracon Horror Film. It's for paranormal and horror film, what the hell? Yeah. Convention. <laughs> yeah, it's the Salem Paracon in Salem. Yeah, you, you say the name for me. I just <laughs> effed it up like mad. And we're actually going to be there, too. I'm going to be there on Saturday, so I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Oh, fantastic. Um, So, yeah, so do you, do you do a lot? Of, you said this was the last one, so do you do a lot of conventions? I've been doing a lot of appearances and conventions, yeah. this this I came out for a screening a couple of months ago and I just asked my manager, I said, you know, I'm going to be there. Why don't we just, you know, pitch me as a local and I'll just roll around doing stuff until I, you know, have to go home. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. I've done, uh, I don't know, four or five conventions, six conventions and four or five personal appearances. Wow. So yeah, it's been really nice. You know, everybody's been cool. I love doing it. I, I don't know why I said no to it. I said no to that stuff for about 25 years. I just said I don't want to do it. Hmm. Finally, one day I started doing it because of Kevin Tenney, the director of Night of the Demons. He has a, a an autistic uh, autism charity, and uh, he was doing a charity event, so he wanted me to go. And I was like, oh, I don't know. My wife was just like, "You're going? What's wrong with you? It's a charity? <laughs> you out of your mind? Go!" That's what she said about the film, too. I almost didn't do it. I was like, I didn't know I wanted to be in a war film. I wasn't sure. <laughs> and she made it clear that I did. <laughs> she was always smarter than me, man. That's awesome. But yeah, so we're going to do the Salem uh, Paracon. Yep. It's at the Salem State University, I think it's called. Yes, yep. On the 12th and 13th of November. Yep. And uh, tickets are cheap, 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 because I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But be there. Get in your car. Show up. Drive. Take a boat. A plane. Whatever you need to. Show up. Exactly. It's easy and fun. <laughs> There's going to be a ton of paranormal people. If you're interested in the paranormal, every paranormal expert from TV shows and books, there's like 20 or 30 of them. Yeah. And uh, I'm lucky enough to be representing horror films there. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it's it, going to be a great convention, I think. You know, you have an open a invitation to come back on the show anytime because I really wanted to go more in depth with you on your horror films. So we'll have sure. to have you come back. All right, we'll do another one. That'd be awesome. And do you have any upcoming projects you want to plug? No, not now. I mean, right now, the only thing I've done recently, you know, since the pandemic, uh, is uh, 
Sausalito, I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about it. It's uh, Jennifer Garner's new series for Apple. Oh, okay. And um, so did that. And again, a great shoot. She was really sweet. And I wasn't even working with her. And she took the time to introduce herself and chat a bit. So that was very nice of her. And nice. yeah, so I'm just getting started back up after, you know, shutting the bedroom door like everybody else for a couple of years. Right. <laughs> You know, there was no work. And if you got work, it was miserable to do. Right. The restrictions were just so hard, you know? Oh, yeah. And so now now those restrictions have been lifted so you can actually act again. That's awesome. But uh, That's awesome. I don't know how they did it. There was only a few people working, but, man, I don't know how they did it. It was so, so difficult. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, came back with a big big show. So, I'm happy about that. Cool. And uh, it, we'll you... see what the next one is. Do you have any social media links that you uh, so the listeners can find you online? I do not. I'm completely invisible online. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to. I swear. I keep saying I'm going to. I know I'm supposed to, but I just don't. I never had have. You know. So hopefully someday soon. Oh, there you go. You'll you'll be able to find me on <laughs> Facebook or I don't know what else there is. Oh yeah, Instagram. Right. That's the big thing. Yeah, they're all I yeah Facebook, Twitter. So. Yeah, I'm never gonna do Twitter. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> because I'll say something stupid. I'll, I, like I'll say something so stupid it gets on the news. <laughs> I will. Funny. There's a, there's no way I won't because my I'm so opinionated about things that uh, I tend to say <laughs> stupid shit all the time. That's funny. Which is okay. You know, you have to be oh, known yeah. for something. Well, how... yeah, Twitter. I just think Twitter's a death knell for somebody who has a big mouth. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Hal, thanks so much for joining me today, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and then uh, having you again on the show so we can talk more in depth. You bet. Thank you, and we'll see you Saturday. Awesome. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Okay, folks. Well, we hope you enjoyed hearing from Charles Rosenay and some of the guests he's got lined up for the Salem Paracast, which is at Salem University in Salem, Massachusetts, on November 12th and 13th of this year, 2022. If you're in the area, you should definitely check it out. Thank you for joining us today, folks. I just wanted to remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror or not. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manell and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And then, of course, there's our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies, all of which can be found at our website, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, please be sure to click on our Patreon link and TeePublic link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please subscribe to it, and don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put new videos out. We do want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. And Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. And don't forget to go wherever you download your podcasts from, and please, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a great review. That way, other people can find us as well. 
And don't forget, folks, all the links from the guests today will be in the show notes. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. shows like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com